0: This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our
1: listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 27.
2: I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I have Scottish... I can
1: complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss the latest episodes of the hit series Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the fifth episode of Season 10, Oxygen. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? So, just uh, as I was saying before we started uh, uh, the the title of the show, reminded me of uh, a great song from the a British band, The Sweet. Father Corey knew the name of the band. Uh, I just knew the the lyrics. Um, Love is like oxygen. You get too much, you get too high. Not enough, and you're gonna die. Uh, and I was uh, expressing my surprise that uh, they did not use this uh, in the in the episode, uh, but. Uh, uh, it's uh, It seemed appropriate to repeat the... It was uh,
2: probably probably usual <laughs> licensing
1: issues. Yeah, right, right. Sweet wanted a, a, a large payday. Um, yeah. So, uh, Oxygen. Uh, we're back in space, our first space episode of the season. Uh, this episode was written by Jamie Matheson, who has written a number of very good uh, Doctor Who episodes. He wrote Mummy on the Orient Express, uh, which is mm. one I liked. Uh, also, flatline, which was the one with the uh, the drawings that came alive in the tiny Tardis. Uh, I like that one. Yeah, that was one we uh, we did discuss. I think. Uh, well, we both both of those we we've done, and uh, the girl who died, which was the first uh, Ashilda slash me episode. Yeah, with the Vikings. <laughs> yeah, not not, <laughs> not as great, not as not as good as the other ones. Uh, but it gave us the character of Ashilda, which was uh, interesting. Um, so oxygen, the we start off with uh, the doctor um, a voiceover, that which is very interesting. We have a a, a voiceover from uh, something that uh, all you know, Doctor Who fans should probably recognize, which is Star Trek: Space, the Final yep. Frontier. Um, yeah. But then he goes on with uh, Final, because it wants to kill us. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then we get a an a, a an extended graphic and uh apparently accurate description of what happens when uh w- when the human body is unprotected in space um uh, the the uh our the uh oxygen in our lungs uh, boils away our saliva our are uh, uh, boils away um we freeze over and in 90 seconds we're dead <laughs> so
0: uh yeah but fortunately uh, we're unconscious after 15
1: yes yep. that's that's helpful um yeah so and it's and it's interesting uh, appeal to an accuracy uh, given what we've seen uh, in, in the past. You know, for example, um, uh, what was it? River Song floating in a ball gown through space to the tar- to the open TARDIS door. Um, although, well, I don't, was it the bubble was extended to? Yeah, they've okay. they've
0: extended the oxygen bubble around the TARDIS before, and that's apparently yep. what was happening
1: there. Okay, all right,
0: well. Um, But there is another uh, episode back in the fifth doctor's time, Peter Davison, uh, where he did a a leap out in space in his – he had a space helmet on, but it was just over his normal cricketer's outfit. And so he didn't have any protection uh, for the rest of his body, which uh, the reason – I mean a big part of the reason people need to wear – Spacesuits is not for the oxygen; it's for the pressure. Right. Uh, they're pressure suits that hold your body and keep it from tearing itself as the pressures in your body get released in a lo- in a vacuum. And so, uh, you know, he would have suffered severe bodily damage in real life in that jump. Um, right, right. And- except, of course, he's a magical time lord. So,
1: <laughs> and we got a little of that in this episode. We'll, 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 I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that near the end. But we got a little of the Doctor. <laughs> Surviving in a uh, in, in a, the vacuum of space uh, without complete or, protection, or did he? <laughs> or did he? Right? Um, you know, certainly not undamaged. Uh, so we we open up as he's speaking. We're we're looking at some type of space station, some uh, astronauts of you know, or uh, I don't know, if astronaut is still the right term. That you know, far in the future. But uh, this couple, this man and this woman, who apparently in a relationship, married of some sort. Making their way back inside the the station, um, and she's talking to him about you know when we get through all this, let's have a baby. Um, and tragically, they're interrupted by what looks like space zombies—people uh, in suits without helmets—and uh, and, and she gets uh, killed. And we don't know at this point whether the, the, the uh, fellow survives um, as he's getting into the airlock. Uh, I, I, I did have a, you know, one of those moments where, uh, you know, TV production movies and TV shows about things that happen in space, they've got the, the great challenge of, you know, what do we do with weightlessness? Um, most do the, you know, like Star Trek did, oh, we have anti-gravity plating. And, and, they, and this is what we get from the Doctor... Uh, with this one there's the anti-gravity plating inside the space station, but they Bonificio are gravity. yeah exactly, and then uh, but you know but in this one and, and others they you know when they 're outside, apparently they have magnetic boots that connect them to the outside of the of the the hull um and so they have magnetic bolts boots are working on, it, except the guy kneels down uh to open up the airlock, <laughs> in which case, I said, do they have magnetic knee pads as well?
2: Well he he had a little magnetic uh, clamp, it almost looked you know, like a suction cup type that he was holding on to.
1: Yeah. Ah uh, okay. he set
2: that down and then he opened up the airlock.
1: So he was using that okay. to hold his knee he'll hold him down in a kneeling hold position. Hold himself down, yeah. Okay. All right, good. You you so I have to admit for his, did have that
2: was that wasn't a, a plot hole. There may have
1: been <laughs> other plot holes in this
2: episode, but that wasn't one of
1: them. Okay. I, I will admit right off the bat, by the way, that I've only seen this, this I usually watch twice. Uh Due to going to see Guardians of the Galaxy on Saturday, I've only seen this once this time, so I I may be off in some of my observations uh, uh, more than usual.
0: Incidentally, there's uh, an aspect we didn't bring out about the woman talking about let's have a baby. Uh, She knows... We don't initially know this, but she knows that her helmet radio is not working. Right. And so she's, like, confessing her innermost desires to this guy, knowing that he can't hear her. And she's doing it as a kind of practice run for saying it to him in real life once her helmet radio is fixed. But because she dies, he never finds this out about her.
1: Right. That's true right uh and and in fact, we have this the him sort of turning and seeing her talking but not hearing her because of course, the vacuum of space um and kind of is like yelling her, "I can't hear you remember, uh, so we have that, yeah, exactly. that moment um and so what we have is this tragic you know you know moment which is doubly tragic because he doesn't even know what she, what you you know she was trying to say or the feelings she was trying to express to him so um. We go. We have this cold open. Uh, then we go to the the credits. The you know the pre credit sequence. The credit the opening credits. The opening title sequence, and then the Doctor giving a, a lecture. He's back at the blackboard giving a lecture uh, about the ways space can uh, kill you. Um, t- discussing how uh, you know don't hold your breath because your lungs will explode. Your sweat and saliva and tears will boil. Oxygen bubbles form in your blood. Ninety seconds, you're dead. And as he's doing this, he's making this. Drawing on the blackboard that started off as a field of stars and ends up being a skull, uh, very dramatic. Yep. Uh, any questions? And a student raises her hand and says, uh, "What does this have to do with what was it again?" Crop um, rotation. Crop rotation. Crop <laughs> <rotations>, That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, and again, well, this is—it's a callback to that first episode of the season where you know there's this is this is—I think Bill was saying. You know, you kind of talk about anything that you want and you get away with it. And, uh, uh and it, because whatever you're talking about is so interesting. So, um, and then we have Nardole kind of calling him on it, saying, look, you're, obviously you're missing space. You want to get back out into space. And that's an interesting comment he makes because apparently this was the brief for the episode, which was, you know, Moffat saying to, uh, Matheson, uh, we want, you know, write a space episode. This, we want an episode where the Doctor is in space. That was, that was essentially what he was given.
0: Um, as, as opposed to on another planet, but not yes. just on another planet. We've already done that. He's, this is actually in outer space.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's this interplay with Nardole and the Doctor where uh, we get a little more revealed about what's, what's going on. Why is the Doctor at this university with this vault um, uh, you know the doctor. What do you want from me? And Nardol says the truth. And the doctor says, "Don't be unreasonable." Yeah, <laughs> so it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. One one
0: of the things that so a lot of people don't really like the character of Nardole and you know I'm not sure why personally I like Nardole a lot I think he's a character with a lot of potential I enjoy the comedic aspects of him I enjoy the non-comedic aspects of him Uh, but I have to say that over the last number of episodes they've written him essentially as a one-note character yeah he all he has done is in every episode, is Nag the Doctor about the vault. Yeah. And and apparently, this episode was written... when He does a lot of that in this episode. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this episode was written earlier than the ones that preceded it. And so, a lot of that nagging was written after the fact. But one way or another, as a viewer, I'm seeing them in order, and he's become Nagnoll. And mm-hmm. I'm tired of the nagging. Yes. I don't mind him holding the doctor accountable but i want to see more than one emotional note from this guy and i don't think they've adequately delivered on that i do like some of the stuff they do with nardole in this episode including something i'm sure we're about to talk about but i have some sympathy at this point for the people who don't like nardole because i think they've been mishandling the character by making him too one-dimensional recently
2: well and that's the, the first basically five minutes they were on the station he's like okay now we're going back to the TARDIS and going back to earth right now we're going back yeah. to the TARDIS and we're going back to earth now we're going back to the tar- I mean that's literally all he said yeah at least Bill agreed with him though which was nice
0: B- yeah. before we get to that though there is such an awesome callback um in when they're when Nardole comes in the TARDIS and the doctor is like I thought you sent to Birmingham for I thought I sent you to Birmingham for a packet of crisps but Uh, Which would mean a bag of potato chips. Um, And Nardole is like, I saw through your clever ruse. And then it (laughs) turns out he's removed a fluid link from the TARDIS Mm -hmm. to keep it from moving. And this, if you know the history of Doctor Who, this is a callback all the way to the second Doctor Who story ever. The first Dalek episode, just called The Daleks. Um, in that episode, the Doctor and Companions landed on Skaro, and the Doctor himself removed a fluid link from the TARDIS and told everybody that the TARDIS couldn't move without it. And oh, it became a major plot because the Daleks got a hold of the fluid link, and so the Doctor was having to run around and everyone was having to try to get the fluid link back or they couldn't leave. And so in this episode... Nardole has done the same thing based on what the Doctor has told him about fluid links. And then the Doctor says, uh, well, who told you that? And he says, you did. And so it'll teach you to trust me. And he, he activates the TARDIS switch and it takes off. And so this completely <laughs> recontextualizes what happens <laughs> in the second Doctor Who adventure. He just, Apparently he just now, the-, the Doctor was lying that whole time just <laughs> to have an adventure on Scara.
2: <laughs> or... Or uh, the doctor turned all the wrong fluid link. Or he's changed the part <laughs> so it
0: works differently. But I'm going with rule one: the doctor lies.
1: Yep, <laughs> that's great. That's a good. See, this is this is the sort of stuff you get listening to the is Doctor Who you wouldn't necessarily get. I love that. Um, it, there's a, there's this interplay with the I, uh, Jimmy. I have to agree with you. My my notes at this point exact say the exact same thing. The, has has Nardol just become a nag and 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 at this point, I would I would agree. He's just a nag, and it's and it, you know the I and I also like the character of Nardole, but it needs to, it needs to move on. Like, and I think, I think based on what we see the rest of the episode and, and what's coming up, I think we're moving on. I think the, the we're going to get a payoff of the vault sooner rather than later, and that whole e- uh, element is going to move on to something else. And so I I I I, uh, I agree, and I'm hopeful. That we're we're not going to have to deal with that for very long. Um, and, and, and by
2: the way, one thing I one thing I just I wanted to mention, you know, about the whole sent you to Birmingham for those of us who aren't from the UK who don't know UK geography. Yeah, uh, that's about a ninety mile drive
1: from Bristol to Birmingham,
2: each way. <laughs> so I had to look that up on on Google Maps because I wasn't sure how far of a distance that was. You know, I mean that's that's yeah, that'd be like uh, well,
0: Birmingham is kind no, of in north west england
2: it, it's actually it's, it's, it's kind of central-ish it's it's close to wales both are both bristol and birmingham are close to wales but it was just it, you know it's that idea of yeah i'm gonna send you to the next city you know <laughs> nine miles away to go get some potato chips yeah you know get you out of my hair yeah real clever ruse there doctor well <laughs> I, 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 I like they're
0: both. Both of them are not from our culture, and so I like. I, I I think that when Nardole says, "I saw through your clever ruse," he is treating it on some level as a clever ruse
2: because <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know how absurd this would be for someone from our culture. Instead, yeah, instead of the down to the corner market where you could get as many crisps as you wish.
1: Well, yeah. Father Corey, you're out in Malta, <laughs> Montana. Isn't that literally down to the corner for you? A ninety mile drive.
2: <laughs> pretty much it's the nearest Walmart it'd be like me going to Walmart let's just put it that way
0: <laughs> you know this is this is something actually now that I think about it uh, this is something that would be even funnier for people from England because they they do live in a country that is much smaller and much more everything is much closer together than here in the United States I do a kind of British folk dance and um, among other types of dance I do and um, once we have had a visiting team of dancers from Hammersmith in London mm. who were out here in California and they had asked their hosts you know how to get to the nearest pub and they were told oh it's really it's really easy you just you get on the freeway you drive for 30 minutes you take this exit you're there and they were just aghast at this. They thought <laughs> yeah. they could like be within walking distance, and they just were That's unprepared for the scale of things in California as opposed yeah. to London,
1: <laughs> or f- visiting exactly. New York and asking, uh, how, you know, can we go to uh, the Grand Canyon for the weekend? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's much bigger than you think, and and the UK is is much smaller than most Americans think. Um, yeah. So. Uh, the doctor sort of enlists Bill to, you know, gets her to, he wants her to pick a destination. Um, although he seems to already have one in mind. It's sort of a, uh, you get to pick the destination as long as it's this one. Um, and it's it's a, yeah. di- a distress call, <laughs> which he says, that's my theme tune, otherwise known as a distress call. And Bill says, you like distress calls? And he, he says, uh, you only really see the true face of the universe when it's asking for your help. That, I mean, if that's a... If that sums up the doctor, you know, in one sentence, that could be it. I mean, this is this is the doctor runs around the universe helping people as they're you know looking for adventure, but the adventure is in helping people who are in, in distress. Um and so uh off they go uh to this mining station uh called Chasm Forge, which as as names of space stations go, that, that's a that's kind of a cool one, actually. I think that's I like that one. Chasm and, Chasm
0: and Forge are both drama nouns, so yeah, yes. really cool name.
1: Um, and we, you know, the, the the there's no oxygen in the whole um, station, so the doctor extends the uh, oxygen bubble around the TARDIS into the whole station, which is uh, extremely convenient. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a, a nice little, uh, a, a nice little. Uh, uh, I mean, that well, a bit of a bit of magic science uh, we have going, yep. which is nice.
2: Well, of course, at, at first he only does it right immediately around the TARDIS. You can see him put up his hand, so that that you can assume that's as far as it went was about you know right. two
1: feet, three feet.
2: And then he, then he, of course he snaps his fingers and it opens wide up and
1: right. And then we get uh, a warning: uh, unlicensed oxygen detected, and we see a sign: air costs, save your breath. Uh, which which they they see neither of those, but the audience immediately is clued in that uh, something is uh, something is strange in this um,
2: it was the, the kind of the atmosphere they made of, of this station with those propaganda signs and things like that was i mean they really went out on this episode with that kind of stuff. It was very interesting
1: well let's let's let 's address the the, uh, the 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 elephant in the room of this episode, which so far this season every episode has had its it's cause of the week. It's our our present day socio political uh, issue that they're bringing up: um, you know, environmentalism, uh, racism, that sort of stuff. This week, elder care, <laughs> elder care. <laughs> <laughs> but this week it's capitalism, um, and it's yeah. a very anti capitalist sort of workers' rights sort of thing, uh, which. Uh, again, British, listener, British listeners, British viewers of uh, Doctor Who will pick up that it's election season. They're, they're, an election has been called. Although we got to point out that this episode was filmed long before uh, the election was called. Um, nevertheless, it's s- sort of topical. But but it's you know it's another political statement. And um, I'm going to just go out and say I feel like politics is everywhere now. And mm-hmm. I kinda wish it wasn't here. I mean if it, it wasn't heavy handed, we didn't have a, an orange haired dictator, you know, figure or something along those lines. You no. Know, uh, <laughs> it was
0: filmed too early for that. It, we'll right. Wait till next year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I just I just I, I, I understand that science fiction has it has a, a sort of a duty or a job of addressing the human condition. And these issues are part of the human condition. I just w- wish it wasn't so he- like consistently heavy-handed mm-hmm. this season. It just is v- like we. It's been done before, but th- but I mean, so what do you think? Is am, am I off base? Do my am, am I am I being too sensitive, or uh, or what do you think? Well, it,
2: it feels. I have to admit, I, my first, my thought as you're talking about it was this. This feels like the anti-Brexit uh, season because all these are issues that have been brought up as Brexit is going to cause our environment to just be destroyed it's going to cause our economy to be destroyed it's going to cause racism it is caused by racism you know you know and of course Brexit isn't that long ago that it would have the election for or the the, the vote for Brexit would have been shortly before these episodes were starting to be recorded you know it was mm-hmm. uh, a little over a year ago i can't remember the exact it yes. was a little June. over a
1: year ago, yeah.
2: But it, but it was, so it was, you know, it was right as they were getting ready to start recording these episodes that Brexit vote occurred. You know, so that's, that's kind of my thought of it. These are the, this is the response saying, well, here's what you're going to bring about to our great country by getting rid of the, our overlords in Europe. You know, I mean, that's just, that was just kind of my thought.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: I, I agree they've been doing the politics too much. And this episode, I thought, was particularly, I don't know, in a, cartoonish in a way. Uh, be, and I've seen this before in science fiction. Um, you know, here in Hollywood, you have a lot of uh, really liberal political causes. And the writers frequently don't understand what they're writing about. So, like in Star Trek... Um, you know they made this decision that there is no money in the future and they, they didn't and, and they eventually interpreted that to mean not just that they don't have paper money or coins but that there's literally no me, you know medium of currency yeah. and and that's just crazy You know, there's no way you can watch Star Trek and say, hmm, no one's using money here to do anything. There's no need, I mean, economics is the, uh, the science of the use of resources that are limited and that have alternative uses. And they clearly have resources that are limited That have alternative uses on Star Trek. Not everybody can have every piece of property they want. Not everyone can own a copy of the Enterprise in Star Trek. So there's clearly some kind of economics functioning here that's going to involve currency in some form. Also, if you're interfacing the Federation with the Ferengis on Deep Space Nine, there's currency exchanges happening. So um so that was just stupid there. And I remember in a particular episode, they had Quark on Star Trek trying to explain economics to an alien and just getting it wrong because (laughs) the writers didn't understand economics. And I think that like that's what's happening in this episode. The writers are towards the left end of the British political spectrum. They have anti-capitalist sentiment. I don't mind them doing a cautionary tale in which capitalism has gone horribly wrong in this you know century and is treating people as if they were utterly expendable and you can just kill your own workers. That's a cautionary tale. That's fine. That's Twilight Zone. That's what Doctor Who does. But to then blame it say this is the natural end point of capitalism is crazy because the natural end point of capitalism is not killing your own employees. Uh, Actually in the real world that would be something capitalists would not want to do because if everybody killed their employees you know what? There would be no purchasers left Mm
1: -hmm. and with no
0: purchasers left there's no product being bought and with no product being bought there is no profit and therefore capitalism would self-destruct so this is not the logical endpoint of capitalism. Capitalism is based on private ownership of the means of production and on uh, mutual transactions that benefit both parties. The writer doesn't seem to understand that and got in these cheeky lines about capitalism uh, but it's I, I you know I look at that and I go guy, you just don't understand the system you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I found it kind of, you know, uh, ridiculous in that regard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't mind the premise of the episode. I can accept aberrations of capitalism. Those happen. Um, but the idea that capitalism itself is the problem is an indication the writers just don't know what they're talking about.
1: And and that's... Um you, I agree with you that a you know a cautionary tale is fine, and and that's what we get sort of here. Is you know um, you know if we take away too much you know with the excess, what we have is is uh, if essentially the company store of the future. In the past, you know, we had for example uh, miners who they lived by the mine, they lived in company homes that the company made them pay rent on. Yep. They had to buy all their food and supplies at the company store, uh, so the company paid them and then took the money back. In you know in mm-hmm. rent and food and all that other stuff, and th- this is essentially what we have here, which is um, they you know the the one commodity that that they absolutely must have in order to work in a space station is oxygen, and so the company mm-hmm. has engineered a system where they have to buy their oxygen from the company. And actually, there's some clever bits where you know when oxygen is the measure, a limited supply of oxygen is the measure of your um, uh, you know uh, of life. You begin to measure everything by how much oxygen you have and how many how many breaths you have, and that's what we kind of get here. Uh, I'm kind of I've kind of jumped ahead a little bit. I want to kind of get to that, um, they, because what the first thing that happens is they encounter this repair bay where the yeah. um, this poor fellow uh, is dead, standing in his uh, suit, um, asphyxiated with his eyes bulging out and his blue blue tinge skin. Uh, his oxygen tank is full, and the force field. Uh, is full of breathable oxygen. Um, you know, it Bill understandably freaks out. And, and it's interesting mm-hmm. here. Bill's not like other companions. Uh, I think it's like, especially I'm thinking of like Rose and Clara. Mm-hmm. Bill's creeped out. She wants to go. She like she's mm-hmm. with Nardole. Let's go We're back to the TARDIS. That, yeah, go home. Exactly. Um, it, and, very very nice touch.
0: So not every companion is this wide eyed. Let's let's go on adventures and not ever get freaked out.
2: Yeah. Well, and one one nice uh, one thing I thought was interesting where they talked about how she couldn't quite say it but it's like it's just disrespectful to leave him just standing here.
0: Well, right. she does say it.
2: Yeah. 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 But but she couldn't she couldn't quite figure out exactly how to express to the doctor that it's disrespectful to just leave a dead person standing in this robot suit.
1: Right. He's you not know? yeah, I mean, there's sort of sort of respect for the dead the, this idea that this is not just, you know, uh A dead body. This was a person alive, and uh, and and so what we've got is um, uh, uh, one of the things I want to point out is actually this nice little bit that they've come up with to help with the production of the show, which is um, even though they have to be in the suits to survive with the helmet, you know, uh, to to keep the oxygen in, they found a way to to have them not be wearing helmets the whole time, which limits the way you can film this episode, limits the acting mm-hmm. and all that right. so, by having this force field. I, f- I felt like that was, a, that was a kind of a clever uh, bit they came up with to help with production while keeping this idea that they, they, they need to be in the, the smart suits, which um, is a very funny neologism uh, that's undoubtedly intended to remind us of our smartphone uh, that yeah. we all carry in our pocket. Um, so everyone must have a smart suit. Everyone has a smart suit on them. Uh, just like we have uh, a, we all have our smartphone on us. Um, and the, but the doctor's response to Bill and Ardol wanting to run is look, you know, the, the, this, the logs say there's a crew of 40, uh, 36 are dead. That means there are four survivors that, and it's up to us to go save them. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it comp- it's a compelling, a compelling argu- uh, argument. Yeah. And, uh, and then we find out that the suits killed the occupants, um, that the, someone sent a, a code that was said to uh, deactivate your uh, organic components, which um, it sort of reminds it feels like that organic components will be the next iteration of human resources. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know the most yeah. dehumanizing term in uh in, co- <laughs> in, in corporate america today is human resources um uh department of organic resource uh, organic components will be will could be, be, be coming to a company near you um and we have this well, chirp, I, chirpy siri like uh, voice uh telling them things like oxygen is available for person who uses com- competitive prices uh, et etc et etc uh um,
0: I, I think i think that's a deliberate oh, now they eventually Name this voice Velma after an apparent ex-girlfriend of uh, of Nardole's, yeah. Um, yeah. and but I think the subtext here is clearly meant to be Alexa and Siri and similar personal assistants that people have now, um, as evidenced by Nar- some of Nardole's comments about like you know charging you an arm and a leg. Well, that's normal.
1: <laughs> you know that
0: just totally totally hooks into Amazon and it's it's yep. Alexa. Uh, AI. Um, <laughs> as I also well as like how
1: it how it doesn't respond correctly to to some of the commands. You know, like they're yeah. trying to phrase the commands correctly to get it to do what they want.
0: They're they're also calling back to you if you remember in the '90s, uh, uh, they had a version of Windows that had an office assistant called Clippy. Oh yeah, was uni- <laughs> universally hated. Because it would it, you would start to write a letter and Clippy would pop up and say, It looks like you're trying to write a letter. Can I help you with that? And it's like, Go away. I'm writing a letter.
1: Hey, it looks um, like you're trying to breathe. And, Can I help you with that?
0: Yeah, well and in this episode they actually yep. have a callback to that with, It looks like you're trying to run. Yeah,
1: they're
0: they're definitely riffing on all of that. Um the uh, it's interesting. We get a little window into Nardole's past uh, in terms of this this girlfriend that he tells us about. Um, so you know we don't have a lot of background on him, but that's a nice little touch as well.
1: It is ni- it is nice to be learning a little bit more. Nardole, and frankly, frankly to have Nardole involved in an adventure, which is uh, completely new for this season, is mm-hmm. he has been sort of absent except at the beginning of end of episodes, nagging the Doctor as we said. Um, so uh, very interesting the you know w- w- we have to place the doctor in jeopardy. You know we have to put him in a situation where he, you know, he's, he, he can't just you know go to the magic box or use his magic wand. So the, the door to the tardis closes and, and locks and so they can't get to it. Uh, and then the smart suit uh, takes his uh, sonic and crushes it. Um, and so now he's now he's sonicless and tardisless and has to uh, solve the situation um by
0: the by the way while we're talking about the suits um and it's not uncommon to have the tardis separated from the doctor by a barrier Mm -hmm. to up the drama it's also not uncommon these days to have the sonic screwdriver destroyed that's happened a number of times since they revived the series uh what's interesting to me this time about the villains is at least the physical manifestation of them is the suits you know, people talk about this as a zombie episode, but as the Doctor points out, the dead bodies are not doing anything inside the suits. They're not they're controlling along. them. It's, they're along for the ride. It's the suits that are the villains here. And that's something new and creative in Doctor Who history. Some people have compared it to Silence in the Library, where the Vashti that inhabit mm-hmm. Shadows took control of suits and killed the people in them. But in that episode, it was the Vashti Narada that were controlling the suits. It wasn't right. smart suits on a rampage. Well, and so, so I like the fact we're just dealing with smart suits as our villain. And the Doctor even addresses them as such later in the episode. He just says, suits, blah, 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 blah. Right. And um, and I, I, I like that. I think it's, it's nice and creative to have... The villains be smart suits.
1: Well, we've kind of discussed this already, but this season we've had a number of non humanoid technological bad guys of the week. Uh, um, we had the emoji bots. Uh, we had yep. the the smart puddle from the first episode uh, now yep. we have the smart suits um, and then for non human baddies we had the the, the space wood lice and the, and the big fish and the big fish although they both of those were being controlled by human beings so th- they might not technically fit that pattern but there's definitely a pattern of technology out of control um which or,
0: or, or- It also fits the line in the first episode of the season about not very few things are actually evil. And if Mm -hmm. you think about all of these different things, they're either fulfilling their programming, they were given by humans, or they're otherwise just doing what their life form does, and they're not out to get anybody.
1: And given that we know uh, the um, the, uh, robots, uh, the Cybermen are coming back. Yep. Oh, okay. The and in fact, the um, the Mondasian Cybermen, the the earlier version yeah. of Cybermen, um, scarier. <laughs> <laughs> given that we know that they're coming back, they're you know, th- it sort of fits. They're a technological automaton that is. It's it's you know it could fit that idea of it. are they evil or are they just machines you know programmed to do a thing. Um, you well, know, who, who, they are cyborgs. So they're half human, half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but are there, um I mean, you would know better than me for the earlier versions of the Cybermen. Are they, are they, uh, centrally controlled like the Cybermen we've seen before in the reboot, or uh, are they're, they more independent? They're they. Well, in terms of how they
0: function, they seem to function uh, individually, but they are programmed essentially. So originally, Earth had a twin planet called Mondas. And uh, which was on the opposite side of the sun from us. And humans evolved on both planets. But on Mondas, uh, they, their technology progressed a little faster and they started to do, get into transhumanism. Uh, earlier than we did, and so they started to gradually replace body parts with mechanical parts, and in an attempt to upgrade themselves. And so the Cybermen are basically transhumanism gone wrong. Uh, they're upgraded humans that have had all emotions stripped out of them and given a set of programming instead. That basically controls their behavior they do have leaders they have cyber leaders and stuff but the cyber leader gives orders to Mm -hmm. to juniors who then carry them out but they're not controlled by like a hive mind or a central programming thing it operates on an individual
2: level they're not they're not the borg
1: right they're not not drones they're not to that level at all okay all right which is what the cybermen we've seen in the in the new who have been more like that, where they've been centrally yeah. controlled more like drones um, which was what made the whole thing with Danny Pink and both both Danny Pink and the brigadier breaking through that programming to, to you know to, to kind of take control of their the, 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 the body that they were in uh, that made what? those significant.
0: One of the things about the so-called Mondasian Cybermen, which is apparently a term Peter Capaldi invented, um, just as a way to describe them, uh, this is the earliest iteration that the Doctor occurred in, encountered at the very first regeneration story mm. at the end of William Hartnell's era, and they were—you could see that they, the 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 costumes for them were not very sophisticated. They just like had cloth coverings for their mm-hmm. face. And they didn't actually have any coverings on their hands. You could see that these were just ordinary human hands. And that simplification of the costumes, a lot of fans have thought, made them scarier Hmm. because they look more human than the later entirely metal encased versions and uh, so it effectively amps up the body horror and that's why i'm looking forward to them coming back because i think they have the potential to be more frightening one of the things that would happen if you go back and watch that first serial where, where they appear they when they speak they just open their mouths and you hear a robotic voice come out um, and it's just, it's not like a metal slit in a robot's face. It's, it's a human mouth open and you hear this voice coming out and the mouth is not moving hmm. and it's really
1: creepy. <laughs> this is, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we, I don't think we have to wait too long, uh, to, to see all that. Nope. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got these, uh, these spacesuits carrying the dead bodies, uh, Nardole, uh, uh, switches on the outside lights, and we see thirty six of them walking around on the outside of the space station. Which, uh, speaking of creepy, that was super creepy. Boy that yeah. was uh, scary. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're told they've only got they they're, they put on the smart suits that were off network, so apparently they never received uh, the the kill command uh, for the you know, from like the other suits did, and so they they head out. Um, They've only got 2500 breaths so that's uh which I think could have also been another um, uh, uh, title for this episode 2500 breaths might it would have been a cool uh, title I think mm-hmm. um, they uh, uh, oh, and again we have uh, Bill with with the good questions what happens if I what happens if I oh, I don't know if it was here or if it was with the helmet uh, maybe it was with the helmet uh, when they were putting those on later she asks what happens if I throw up in my yep. helmet? Color and Naruto. smells. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh,
0: uh, while we're talking about the helmet, so the doctor tells her she needs to put on her helmet because the the force field around her head won't stand up to a vacuum, and that makes no sense given that they've already told us there's no air on this station, and
2: it's just the the well, field around her head. So they also, also uh, decompressed the airlock which if there's no air in there, you don't need to decompress it. (laughs) Right. Then then got another example of inconsistent writing. Yeah. Um,
0: Because if there's air in there, why do they need the force field around their head to begin with? Right. So we've got, I understand, Dom, you're totally correct that they did the field for production reasons, but then they need the helmets for plot reasons, because (laughs) if they, if they can get by in outer space with just the field then the fact that bill can't get her helmet sealed is not going to be a problem and and they need it to be a problem for the plot and so we've got a conflict between the plot needs and the production needs of the show and they don't give us a rational explanation to harmonize those two
1: I mean, they could have said that the force field wasn't working but it doesn't give they us a yeah. it doesn't doesn't give us that visual indication of everybody else has a helmet on and she doesn't which mm-hmm. and, and then when we see i mean we've kind of skipped ahead a little bit but let's we can talk yeah. about it here when we see the doctor you know while she's going in and out of consciousness we see the doctor without a helmet outside like we don't have that that pe- that beat that that little that in a clue of what's going on, so yeah, they kind of wrote themselves a little bit into a corner, and they they kind of waved a wand at it, hung a lantern on it and and we were hoping we wouldn't notice, uh which we didn't mm-hmm. so blue, blue to you <laughs> uh, so anyway before, just before that, they encounter the four survivors we have tasker ivan f- who was the fellow uh from the opening scene, uh Abby and uh Darren or Darren, the da- blue yeah, yeah. the, the blue skin fellow where we have this whole racism bit between uh Bill and Darren. um uh where... this was awesome <laughs> i loved this this was yeah. great it kind of actually it, it was a little gentle mockery of the whole uh PC people's things. focus on racism yeah uh, well i i haven't seen a lot of people like you before <laughs> you just, like everything yeah. she says makes it worse <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, but of course, Nardole has the best line, which is a lot of my friends are bluish. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> which, which for people
0: who may not recognize it is is based on uh, a line from the Beatles' uh, "Yellow Submarine." Uh, movie, where that you have the blue meanies, right? And they play on the word "bluish" there as 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 a stand-in for the word "Jewish." You don't look bluish, and <laughs> and and some of my best <laughs> friends are bluish, and things like that. So um, that's what they're calling back to there. But I I love the fact that Bill, we know Bill is not a racist. You know, she's just right. encountering something that's different from her normal experience and reacting to it. But because she's she's reacting to it, it gets interpreted as you're an evil racist. Right. And no matter what she says, confirmation bias reinforces that perception of her. And so, you know, I, this is exactly the dynamic that happens in a hyper politically correct situation. There is real racism in the world. It is very real. But there's also a, um, an overreaction that treats innocent things as if they were sinister, and then no matter what you do to try to say, hey, that's not what's happening here, it gets treated as confirmation that that is what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, and it was nice to see the show be honest about that reality, which is a human thing. We're flawed, and this is one of the ways that flaw manifests.
2: And, and, you know, there are things yeah. we don't understand, and when we encounter them, we're not going to react as perfect, you know, exact, oh, you know, everything is exactly how it should be. No, we're going to react badly, and we're going to say things, and we're going to be startled, and, you know, she looks at him like, wow, I've never seen a person with all blue skin before. <laughs> you know, bright blue nonetheless, you know. So, I mean, it, it's, yep. yeah, it was, it was I, I was actually rather surprised by that, that whole Sequence because it's almost kind of the, like you said, kind of almost the anti politically correct
1: right way mm-hmm.
2: of how people would
1: react there. And it was very lightly handled. It was very it was funny yeah. um, and not grim. And as so much of this episode is sort of grim and scary, uh, it was an, it was a, a light moment which they did a good job of sort of uh, relieving some of the tension and stress with uh, occasional light moments. Which I, I feel like that was well done. That was. That was well written. Um, Tasker is killed as they, as the, uh, the, the zombie suits, uh, I'll call them zombie suits because the suits are, are zombies, uh, comes through. We, we keep getting this moment where, uh, where Bill's suit is malfunctioning. We were told that the suits were down for maintenance, and her suit keeps, like, doing these things that need to be fixed, um, you know, where, where it's got a, a mind of its own, uh, so to speak, and literally, um, they, they need to escape out, uh, out to the outside, um, And Bill's suit takes her helmet off and won't let her keep her helmet on. Um, And so the doctor puts her, you know, she's literally, her life is literally in jeopardy. And now some people identify this as the first time that Bill's life, she's really in that moment of uh, life or death jeopardy. Like she's really Mm -hmm. on the verge of death. Um, I mean, Mm -hmm. she was in some jeopardy in thin ice when they were tied up next to the explosives. But, you know, really, that was... They didn't come very close to dying. There, um, this is—I mean, she's 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 dead at at, at one point. Um, and well, okay,
0: so we're talking we're talking about the first point where they go into space, or the later point that
1: happens with her suit. Um. Well, let's let's talk about the first point where she goes into space. Like, so you know, she's got she's doing all the things that he the doctor said in his lecture at the beginning. You know, uh, don't hold your breath. Um, you see the skin icing over, and all these. All these things, which are are you know, dead, and she passes out, um, and we see them like this montage of them moving through as she's in and out of consciousness. She's uh, the helmet, and the doctor doesn't have his helmet, and the firing lasers, and then she comes, uh, she comes, regains consciousness again, and now they're in a new part of the station, literally new part of the station. Which uh, there's there's no map for in the smart suits and therefore they can't enter it and so the the the, the, the evil suits the zombie suits uh, can't can't attack them. Um, and Nardole
0: compares that to when your GPS doesn't know about a new road; it can't guide <laughs> yeah. you onto the new road.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's uh, so that's so that's the sort of the first or the moment of jeopardy for her. Her life is in jeopardy. Um, and, and,
0: and this is where the doctor incurs the big consequences yes. of of saving Bill for the first time.
1: Right. He uh, we see that his eyes are are white and he's gone blind. He says, uh, right.
0: And there's also an exchange between uh, one of the crew one of the surviving crewmen and Nardole, who's informing Bill about what's happened to the doctor. And it's explained to Bill that. Uh, the doctor was on uh, was without a helmet for a long period of time and could have died. And one of the crew says sh- he should have done, and mm-hmm. that implies this was a really long period of time. He should not have survived, and right. that explains the blindness. But the Nardole starts to say to Bill something along the lines of. About the doctor, and I'm thinking at this point he's almost about to explain the concept of regeneration to her and then diverts into the blindness, right? Um, and I'm thinking they've they could now I'm not saying they will, but they could say the doctor's regeneration began in episode five, that he was out in space too long to survive and what we're seeing is his longest rolling regeneration Mm -hmm. to date because uh, they've said uh, previously, that the Doctor's regeneration can take an extended period of time. And Peter Capaldi's has said his regeneration this time is going to be more involved and less straightforward than previous regenerations. And so if they want to, they've got a point in this episode where they could say the Doctor already sacrificed himself for Bill. And what we see afterwards in the season is the playing out of that. So I don't know that they yep. will do that, but I think it'd be a very interesting dramatic choice.
1: And what we see from the teaser for next week's episode at the end of this one, and we'll talk more about it at the end of our discussion, uh, the doctor's blindness uh, is is continuing. Uh, so yep. because so the doctor says, "Oh, I've got stuff on the TARDIS that'll fix this in a jiffy." Um, but what we find out at the end is is that it doesn't actually it takes away the the Snow White eyes uh, that he has. But mm-hmm. it doesn't actually fix the blindness, and he's hiding it from Bill, but uh, but do- isn't able to hide it from Nardole. Um,
0: yeah, also, this is something that was not – this was uh, Stephen Moffat's choice. Originally, I saw an interview with Matheson where he said, originally, I, I wanted him to pay a price for the exposure to space, but I had him healed by the end of the episode. And Moffat said, nah, let's keep that going.
1: Because <laughs> Moffat <Yep>. will do. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, the, then we have a nice uh, little bit from the doctor where, you know, where he's being challenged on, you know, how, how do we know, you know, like, why do you think you can solve this? You're blind, you're, you're you know, you're, uh, your rescue is just, is, is ruined. And he says, I've got no TARDIS, no Sonic, about 10 minutes of oxygen left, and now I'm blind. Can you imagine how unbearable I'm going to be when I pull this off?
2: <laughs> great, great line.
1: I love that, that meta, like that, uh, where he just, he recognizes how, you know, his own personality. Uh, well, I love
2: the line, too, where he says, I, I can tell people what to do, and then the, the, the bluish guy goes, I can, we're still here, you know. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> so, uh, and unfortunately, da Ren, uh Ren is killed. He's the next one to go. Um, oh,
2: and
0: before we leave him, there's a behind-the-scenes joke. Um, so, the you know, Peter Capaldi is playing the Doctor. He's named Peter. The actor who played Da Ren, also, was named Peter. But because, and so they needed a way to distinguish the two Peters on set, and they started referring to Darren as Blue Peter, which is <laughs> oh. the name of, of a popular British children's show that has often interacted with Doctor Who before. <laughs> That's good. Blue
1: Peter. Um, so, uh, we get that we get a a little bit of a of a of a reveal of of what's going on here uh the doctor starts to understand um, the suit threatens a fine for tampering with its operation so bill's suit won't move um and so uh you know they they try to to you know jerry rig it so that it will start moving again and they and it's told sold it with there's a fine for tampering with the operation of the suit and so the doctor says you know tells her you you have to trust me and tells her i must you know leave you behind and he'll promise he's gonna that, go through hell yes and that tells her that she you know he'll he'll fix fix it um she seemingly dies at the hands of the suit of the suits that come together um and screaming out for dumped, her mother yeah yeah
0: and we get to see the image of that picture of her mother and to me that tells me we're not done with her mother. This is this it's it if it's so significant to her that they show us the picture of her mom when she has her first, you know, near death encounter, that's going to come back in some way later in the season. I suspect we'll actually see her mother one way or another, probably through through time travel.
1: It and uh I I still feel like there's there's something about Bill where she's she's um we're going to find out she's a Gallifreyan. She's. she can regenerate uh, i still that's still I'm still holding to that theory that uh, that there's something there to, to that. I mean she was calling on her mother as if her mother were present, and that was a very interesting yeah. she still feels like her mother is with her, uh, and that's a very interesting uh, bit, a bit of the character um, so I guess I want to address it here. I missed the point where it said what happened to Bill like why these people or why Bill wasn't dead what was it that oh. that Bill house of Bill survived where the others didn't they, so they gave, gave us a, sh-
0: yeah they gave us a shot of of not just the oxygen indicator but which they periodically did on. Um, they show us the indicators on the suits yeah. and at one point the doctor sees an indicator of the battery power on Bill's suit and they don't tell us the significance at the time but later the doctor says I saw that her battery was too low to kill her so I knew she wasn't going to die um, so he allows it he allows the suit to, to shock her knowing it's just kind of going to shock her into unconsciousness but not actually kill her
1: yeah but she was so she was unconscious with her eyes open, and that sort of zigzag lightning bolt on her face. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, uh, I, I'm having a hard time buying that. I mean, people don't For usually sure. go unconscious with their eyes open. But yeah, they do Yeah, yeah.
0: This is not normal electrocution,
1: right? And so what was happening is is the suits the other suits weren't killing the occupants of the, the, of our, uh, you know, the the survivors, they were in, in, in directly with electrical charge, they were networking with it. Um, they were sending the, 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 the viral code to the suit by by touching it. Okay.
2: And they're they were using NFC.
1: (laughs) Well, but it had to be touched. So you had to actually touch it. It couldn't be just close enough. It's that, that, uh, it's networking at its worst. I have to say, that's <laughs> yeah.
2: That's <laughs> sneaker net. We used to call that sneaker net, where you had to you know go from yeah. one to the other. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's another production requirement because uh, or plot requirement because if they could just transmit it, um, you know, digitally over the air, the the whole episode would you know take five seconds.
1: Right. Exactly. They would. Yeah. They would be dead right away. So uh, the doctor, you know, gets his inspiration. Um, he, he realizes that uh, we have a greedy corporation that um, has realized that the station, the current workers are no longer profitable and they need to be replaced. And rather than fire them, we just kill them off and bring in replacements. Um, and so what he does, is he, he decides to make the cost of killing them higher than the cost of uh, keeping, uh, alive. keeping them alive and connects their life signs, uh, basically, to the reactor. Uh, and if they die, the reactor uh, uh, explodes. And so the smart suits, uh, being smart, realize that now we have to keep them alive, gives them more oxygen so they will survive. And then the doctor uh, gives his, his, um, his little anti-capitalist bit, uh, You know, the end point of capitalism, the bottom line where human life has no value at all, uh, we're fighting yeah. an algorithm, a spreadsheet, like every worker everywhere. We're fighting the suits, which is a, yeah. <laughs> a funny little pun. <laughs>
0: good, good line there, but it's actually not what capitalism is about. Exactly, yeah. capitalism yeah. Exactly. is not about depriving humans of value. Capitalism is about mutually
2: enriching exchanges. Yep.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it, I, I, I do love the line
2: that the. I do love the line, though, the Doctor used to stop the suits where, you know, our deaths are going to be glorious and big blaze, and our deaths are
1: going to be expensive. <laughs> yes. And the suits <laughs> immediately stop. That's <laughs> the word. Yeah. Um, so, let's see. What else? And then, so, th- now, we, now we're at the, uh, that was the climactic point, and now we're at the uh, the dinamount. We're back in the TARDIS. Uh, Bill is okay. The Doctor's getting his eyesight restored, we think, at first. Uh, the the rescued miners are are um they're going to go take it to the to corporate headquarters uh and, and make a complaint uh, they say one one,
2: one thing too um kind of going back a little bit you know there's this this rescue ship that was supposedly coming right. and of course there at the end it was revealed before before the suits came in that the ship wasn't there to rescue them it was to replace them they had become inefficient so they needed new people.
1: To come and run
2: the station.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I
0: I believe it was just going to be suits running the station at this point.
1: Oh.
2: You know, honestly, they weren't clear about that. Mm -hmm. At least I don't think they were that it was. But the the doctor did say these are your replacements that are coming.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And and I suppose, you know, if they're just suits running the place, they don't need to. Don't need oxygen at all, and all that sort of thing. No food, none of that kind of stuff. So uh, we, you know, we, we back in the TARDIS, and oh, we find out also go ahead. With, with the with the, the two uh,
0: workers who survive. Um, the the doctor, I think, is offering them companionship there because he says, you know, I can take you to a, a, you know another planet where you won't find the co- company, or I could take you anywhere. The universe is your crustacean. Um and he says it in a way that suggests he's inviting them on the grand adventure, but they remain laser focused of we're gonna address the what just happened to us, take us to corporate headquarters.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah, that I could see that, yeah. Um and then you we know, we're we're all sort of surprised by this revelation, this private you know, private reveal between Nardole and the doctor, that the uh, his eyesight actually, while it it looks like it's healed. Is not, and he's keeping it from from Bill. Right. Uh, Nardole worries that the uh, whoever the occupant of the vault is going to find out uh, and know that the doctor is now vulnerable. Uh, and
0: he refers to the occupant as our friend.
1: Yes, yes. We we get a, a several several bits here. Uh, apparently, Nardole does not realize that the doctor has gone into the vault. Uh, he's opened up the vault and got inside. Um, uh, you know, because the, the vault could open. Um, yep. What else was there? I th- I'm trying to think of the 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 other bits at the end that got He's, revealed.
0: I don't know about that, but I it, one thing the doctor is wearing his sonic sunglasses in a scene. Yes, and that actually makes sense and makes me dislike the sonic sunglasses less because <laughs> if you're if you're Blind, and I have experience being blind, I was legally blind in both eyes when I had cataracts, Um, and it it is very, if you're used to being sighted, being blind is a very significant handicap, there's all kinds of things you wouldn't even think about that you now don't know how to do, like cook food, how do you know when it's done? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're cooking on a stove, you can't see it. Uh, how do you know that the vegetables you've got in front of you are fresh? There's all kinds of problems you have to encounter when you're blind. And um, if the do- if the doctor has these sonic sunglasses on, he can potentially use them to get some kind of awareness of his surroundings that will help him while he's blind. And that makes sense. It's not just yeah. a aren't these cool as an idea thing? Now they're playing a functional role, and that makes me like them more.
1: And in fact, the teaser for next week shows, uh, shows us him using them uh, and wearing them um, g- g- throughout the episode, uh, and Bill questioning him about the, the wearing of them. Uh, and that brings me to, to the teaser for next week. Uh, we have the beginning of a th- what we're told is a three-part trilogy, uh, three episodes that are going to be connected. Uh, they, they, they've been called The Monks Trilogy, the uh, hmm. the first episode is written by Moffat, so this is going to be this is going to be a key to whatever the theme the of this, this season is. We know um, we know the Pope is going to be in it, not literally yeah, Pope Francis, flashed. but yeah. but <laughs> a- an actor the, pope of the universe, yeah, right? Exactly, a, a Pope where uh, a, a Pope, um, and um, and in fact, there's a, v- a video on YouTube uh, with a you know a, a bit of a scene where. Um, Bill is on a has a date over to her house um and she's trying to convince her date again we were reminded that Bill is a lesbian uh that it's okay and then suddenly the pope comes out of her bedroom um and her her friend obviously freaks out um and then they all they go into this bedroom and they see uh the uh a cardinal a bishop and some priests all st- standing in there so um this is going be- be- <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah this is um uh, you know, for for the three of us, especially, uh, uh, all of us in some way, you know, uh, you know, obviously Father Corey as a Catholic priest, but uh, <laughs> Jimmy, you work for Catholic Answers, and and I've worked for uh, Catholic churches and archdioceses and, and organizations. Uh, so this is going to be very interesting for the three of us to 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 see next week. Um, I tend to cringe whenever the church is depicted in popular yeah. culture because of the Dan Brownization, and honestly. The What I saw of the trailer, the teaser, and you guys can tell me what you think, I, I'm a little worried. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. No, I, I – I, you know, Dan Brown is a good name to bring up because the teaser trailer looked like something from a Dan Brown movie. The yeah. very toss on the – written on everything and yeah. yeah. What What's different
0: though in this case – I'm a, a little apprehensive too. I'm not so worried about the Dan Brown stuff as just is there going to be a fundamental respect shown. Or is it going to be fundamentally disrespectful? Right. Um, I can even take some joking. You know, that's fine. Some ribbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a problem. Um, but if there's a fundamental, you know, the church is nasty and evil thing happening, then I'm not going to like it. But where it's different than Dan Brown is Dan Brown went to elaborate lengths to portray his work of fiction as if it was real history when it right. wasn't. This, it, nobody's going to think Doctor Who is trying to convey real history with whatever sci-fi, weird, alien monks they've got in this. <laughs> right. So, um, so there's not the danger of misleading people about actually what happened in history.
1: I, I, w- I have to agree. I will be very upset if we have uh, a monologue from the Doctor talking about uh, how bad Catholic doctrine is in the Catholic Churches. Uh, that will— Yeah. That will that will upset me. I have to say, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of looking forward to it as well because I'm just curious to see you know uh, w- what they what they've got planned. Uh, what we do know is is we're we're going to see Missy. Missy is back. Yay! Uh, oh yes. Now that doesn't tell us that that's Missy in the vault uh, necessarily. Could be. Um. Not it could be John Sims's master. The the the. Yep who John Sims, the actor, you know, is coming back, he's played the master. Uh, Technically,
0: we don't know of any connection between, I mean, I think it's Missy in the vault. I think we've got evidence for that, but we don't know that. They could pull a surprise on us.
1: And and frankly, we don't even know for sure that John Sims is playing a version of the master. Uh, True. You know, we just know that the actor is going to be in it. Uh, I mean, it it would stand to reason, but, you know. They can do a lot of things so it's it so it'll it'll be a very i'm looking forward to this I mean I always look forward to episodes of Doctor two but you know we're sort of getting into the meat of the season we're we're halfway through just about um for the final season for Moffat and peter Cabaldi. uh it'll be interesting to see where we go um one one last note I have to just kind of relay this um one of my facebook friends uh Kate Cusino, I don't think she listens she should. To, to this podcast, I'll have to let her know to listen. Uh, I'm not even sure she knows that we, that I do this podcast. But anyway, uh, found out that um, she went to an Ottawa Comic Con and met Peter Capaldi uh, over the weekend. And she had she said that um, he's he's just in person. He's the same sort of personality as the Doctor in the sense of high energy, very outgoing and friendly, and yep. and, and and all that. So. Uh, uh, which which I kind of got from watching the special a couple of years ago when he and Jenna Coleman did the world tour before, ahead of the, the that season of Doctor Who um, that I kind of felt like he was that sort of personality but uh, it was really nice she had a picture with him and and so it was really neat uh, I'm very jealous um, cool. There is a contest, and I think the contest is closed, but uh, there's this organization called Omaze that ra- that runs these uh, fundraising contests for for uh, various causes, you, uh, us- utilizing celebrities. They have Star Star Wars, you like be in the Star Wars premiere and, and, and be in a scene from the new Han Solo movie. Well, they have a Doctor Who one that's about to be revealed. It's uh, Breakfast with Seven Doctors. So I think it's the seven, I think there's only seven living doctors. Living. Um, and so the uh, one lucky winner is going to have breakfast with seven doctors, uh, including uh, all of the ones from the uh, the new Who. So that's that's definitely even Christopher f- Eccleston. Uh, I'm fair. Uh, well, no you got me. I, he, I, you know,
2: he's he's kind of backed off from Doctor Who. He doesn't really like yeah. to get involved in it. He. he I, I, um, well, we can we can count. I mean, real quick, who's I mean, who's the living doctors? So We've we have got, got Tom Baker. Tom- Baker Peter, Peter Davis, Colin, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, McCoy. Again. Um, Paul, Paul McGann, McGann Christopher yeah.
0: Eccleston, David Tennant, Matt Smith, and Peter Capaldi. That's and nine. nine. Yeah.
1: So it might not be Peter McGann, just because of the American thing. Um, Paul, Paul. Paul McGann. I'm sorry, Paul McGann. Sorry, Paul McGann. Uh, Although he
2: was he was very active around the time of the fiftieth Doctor special.
0: Yeah. So. I, If there were two who weren't going to be there, my guess would be Christopher Eccleston wouldn't be there um, because he doesn't generally do Doctor Who and possibly Tom Baker because he's elderly now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now I'm curious. I want to find out who is... uh, (laughs) Well, so it'll certainly be the... um, uh, Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, It's certainly going to be the the three latest doctors, Matt Smith, David Tennant, and uh, Peter Capaldi. We're going to have um, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann, David Tennant, Matt Smith, and Peter Capaldi. Okay, nailed um, it. Yes, very good. And uh, I, I, I have said that if I, if I win, because uh, I of course entered it, uh, because oh, awesome. Who wouldn't? Uh, uh, if I win, I'm going to walk into the room. I'm going to put my hands on the table. I'm going to say, "Gentlemen, now you. I guess, I guess you know why I've called you here. The world needs the doctors." <laughs> I mean, and
2: they're all going to roll their eyes. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be the goofiest <laughs> Doctor Who fan. We're stuck Who with fan. this guy.
1: <laughs> Although I want to, ha- I want to have someone film me singing uh, "The Proclaimers" "500 uh, Miles" between Peter Capaldi and David Tennant because uh, because oh. uh, uh, Scottish, you know. The Scottish side. oh okay they can complain. <laughs> right. so that's enough of my my dreaming of uh of winning uh, contests um so let you know just some final thoughts any final thoughts on oxygen and, and any last thing notes that you wanted to didn't get a chance to say uh while we we're in our discussion
0: I like when bill hops up and down to test the gravity on the station yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> <That's good.
0: laughs> Yes. in terms of in terms of uh, series quality trend um, I thought this was a good episode I thought it had some notable plot holes that we've talked about largely because of conflict between plot and production needs um, and I also I thought the capitalism stuff was, Unnecessary, but it was just on the level of dialogue. I didn't mind the premise of the episode. If you just snipped a couple of lines of dialogue, I would have been happier with it. So I thought it was a fundamentally entertaining episode, and I liked seeing the Doctor pay an ongoing price for mm. once for
2: for something he did.
1: Good, good. By the any last thoughts? Oh
2: no, I, I enjoyed the episode. I think it was. I think it was a good one. And you know, it 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 hung together better than many we've watched so far this season, but. You know, again, it wasn't perfect, but it's you know, it's a forty five minute T V show. I, I think we we expect, you know, these perfect plot points and everything, and I'm sure they write them out, these perfect plot points, and they look at it and go, Yeah, this would be a movie. We need <laughs> to cut it down big time. Right. No. Um, no, I enjoyed this one. A lot. And just kind of aside here, I want to send a a quick, quick howdy to someone who's listening to us, Eric Naneman. I had got opportunity to meet him. He's from down in the, the Phoenix area. And he had sent me a message on Facebook during my Facebook fast. So I wanted to say, hi, I did get your message and glad you're listening.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, that's, that's it from us. Uh, so what did you think of Oxygen? Uh, let us know uh, by visiting us uh, at Tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, uh, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Give us your, your thoughts. Um, thank you to those who have been doing so so far. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the, that next episode, Extremis. Uh, until then, Jimmy, where can people find you online? They yeah, can find me at jimmyaiken.com and uh, Father Corey, where can people find you online? Uh,
2: Father Corey, frcory.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and so on, with, at frcoreystica, last name is spelled S-T-I-C-H-A.
1: And you can find me at Betnet.com, B-E-T-T-N-E-T.com, and where you can find all my social media links. Thank you for listening, and remember, the nice thing about life is however bad it gets, there's always one option left, dying well. We'll see you next time. When will I see you again? Uh,
2: soon. I expect, or later, one of those.